the Raising the Bar podcast, brought to you by the Association of Gray's Inn Students. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Meet the Barrister series for the Raising the Bar podcast with me, Alana Hughes. In the Meet the Barrister series, I speak to a different guest barrister in each episode and discuss their path to the bar and their practice. The aim of the Meet the Barrister series is to demonstrate that the bar is not a one-size-fits-all sort of profession, as it is sometimes wrongly assumed to be. Barristers come from a wide variety of backgrounds and specialise in many different areas of law. There is something for everyone. This episode will focus particularly on LGBTQ representation, inclusion and equality at the bar. My guest this evening is Gerald Wilson of Tanfield Chambers, London. Gerald was called to the bar in 1989 and specialises in family and property law. Gerald, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. So just to get started this evening then with tonight's episode, can you tell me a little bit about your background, how you came to the bar and why you wanted to be a barrister? Well, I'm first generation in terms of going to university. I don't have a family background in law, but I was always very good at arguing. And I guess that I had a political motivation in coming to the bar. I wanted wanted to change things. I wanted to be a voice for people. And initially I was in a general common law set, which was the norm in those days. There were very few specialist sets. And I've sort of slowly worked my way into family law. Initially, I did quite a lot of crime as well, and more property than family. Uh, But over time, that's moved, partly following the changes in lesbian and gay law in terms of the, the areas that needed to be changed. So I was very involved in the attempts to decriminalise, finish off the decriminalisation of uh, homosexual offences and then since then equalising provision for people in uh, family law. Now the focus of this episode is on LGBTQ representation, inclusion and equality at the bar and just by way of context you were called to the bar in 1989. Yes. The 80s were a very difficult decade for gay men in the UK for many reasons, but two reasons in particular were perhaps the HIV crisis and the introduction of the very controversial Section 28 of the Local Government Act 1988, which prohibited the promotion or teaching of homosexuality in schools. This was an act to refrain local authorities from promoting homosexuality. Politically, the decade was tumultuous for gay rights. The Prime Minister at the time, Margaret Thatcher, said at the Conservative Party conference in 1987, just one year, Gerald, before your call to the bar, that children who need to be taught to respect traditional moral values are being taught that they have an inalienable right to be gay. All of those children are being cheated of a sound start in life. And then just one year after your call, In 1990, the World Health Organization declassified homosexuality as a mental disorder. Now, if we flash forward 30 years or so, same-sex marriage has been legalised across the UK, first in England and Wales, March 2014, and then Scotland, December 2014, 
and very regrettably, given that it's where I come from, only in January 2020 did Northern Ireland follow suit. But historically, LGBT inclusive relationships and sex education was introduced to 2020 in English schools after years of campaigning. But across the world, we still have 11 countries where the death penalty is imposed or at least possible for private consensual same-sex sexual activity. Uh, 72 countries who criminalise the same. Now that sets the scene and the background to show the difference in society in the UK from when you started at the bar to where we are now. And it's against that background that I ask you if you could talk about the challenges that life at the bar has presented to you throughout your career and how you have seen those challenges change as as time has, has gone on. The context was in some ways even more aggressively anti-gay than you've set out because there was a effectively a, a police campaign to prosecute gay men particularly. There was a huge spike in the number of arrests and prosecutions for soliciting and gross indecency and effectively an attempt to silence lesbians and gay men and prevent them from having any sort of profile publicly. The bar itself was extremely homophobic. When I arrived to do my first pupillage, uh, there was no lesbian and gay society at the bar. There was a subgroup of a of a socialist society that dealt with lesbian and gay rights. It was tiny. Uh, there were, I think, about three people who were out at the bar, uh, at least that I knew of. One of them now is a High Court judge. But the atmosphere was very, very difficult. Indeed, in the judiciary, there was effectively a bar on anyone who was a lesbian or gay, or, well, there certainly were no transsexual judges at the bar then. And one recorder was forced to resign because he was outed by his boyfriend. So it was a, it was a very, it was in many ways a very repressive time. And the change in the bar, I think, has been starting, really. I've personally had relatively little direct or overt discrimination, except at the start in pupillage, when I had my sort of lesbian and gay uh, part of my CV, on my CV. I, yeah, I got a pupillage at a, a radical set, but I got very few interviews. When I then took it off, effectively in desperation because I wasn't getting getting anywhere, I effectively got an interview for every set that I applied to. So that, that was a very stark lesson in uh, homophobia at the bar. But of course, it wasn't just us. Women and black people had just as much difficulty. And it's there's been a lot of leadership at the bar in terms of pushing chambers and barristers to address minority rights and to take diversity seriously. And I think it really has absolutely changed the whole feeling at the bar. There was an article that I read from the chair of the Middle Temple LGBTQ plus society, where he talked about the history um, of the inn and how we know when the first woman was admitted to the to the inn and we know when the first black person was admitted to the inn, but we will never know when the first 
gay or lesbian person was admitted and how that piece of history is sort of gone forever and we can't get that back well i think that's a, i think i think that latter point is quite a difficult one to address because it is unlike being black or minority ethnic or female you can disguise your sexuality so you can you you can be under the radar and there isn't a first lesbian or gay man at the bar because there have always been lesbians and gay men at the bar they or at least gay men at the bar because it's just that they've had to keep quiet about it that's why we don't have a someone who we can point to as being the first gay man who came to the bar uh, we might be able to point to the first lesbian possibly because of course women coming to the bar is a much more overt thing so that that's one element of it the other is actually the fact that there were lots of closeted gay men particularly at the bar probably contributed to the homophobia at the bar because people who felt threatened in their own positions uh, because of their uh, homosexuality tended to be i think quite difficult towards anyone who was out they were they were threatened by them and there wasn't necessarily the sort of solidarity that you might expect but i think that's general in society you know closeted gay men and women are often the most powerful source of homophobia and to what extent does that problem persist at the bar today in terms of people who are wanting particular positions maybe within the judiciary or queen's council for example who feel that if they were to come out that would be to the detriment of their career i very much doubt it now i mean these days diversity is actually is seen as a positive particularly in terms of those sorts of appointments the appointment systems are now very they're almost al- algorithmic at least uh, at the start and although there is an interview process obviously it's much it, it, it's a much more objective process and actually your engagement in diversity which is something of which lgbt people generally will will have had significant experience of is actually positive in those processes and um, so i i think now at least the overt processes at the bar and in the judiciary we are probably in a re- reasonably good place uh, there may still be processes which do still hinder people's careers so for example you know there may be solicitors firms that are actually quite boisy as if I, if I could say that um, laddish in their cultures and you might find it harder to get work from those sorts of firms uh, it, it's that sort of thing i think rather than overt discrimination and similarly i think some some chambers may be worse but i think most chambers nowadays are, uh, are generally pretty welcoming but they may there may still be expectations as to what where you're going to be and i think there's a preponderance of out gay men and lesbians in the family bar as opposed perhaps to the commercial bar and what what do you think could possibly be you know the reason for that do you think that there's an element of liberalism and open-mindedness and empathy at the family bar that there maybe isn't in other areas of law or i suppose what what are your thoughts on on why there is a preponderance well well partly partly it's that partly it's that i think a lot of lesbian and gay men because of their experiences 
tend to be more empathetic to people who are at the margins and and therefore you know the sort of work that you do in family law is quite attractive if you're if you're interested in dealing with with people individually and with the sorts of difficult problems that that arise you know often because you're marginalized because you're you happen to be someone from the subcontinent who has come here in a marriage and is struggling in that marriage or there are all sorts you know there are all sorts of um, situations in which people are disadvantaged which i think because of our own disadvantage we can empathize with i i think there's partly that push but i think it's also partly that the cultures in some areas of the bar are more macho to give you another word or laddish and that tends a to dissuade less savage people from going to them so women and gay men tend not to go into the commercial bar quite so readily but also perhaps to find it harder to fit in to get work in those in those fields if we look to how we go about changing that culture that unfortunately very regrettably still persists today i know that you're a member of the lesbian and gay lawyers association and I just wondered if you had any thoughts on what you would say to allies of the LGBTQ community here out there in the bar who are unsure of how best to support their colleagues, want to get involved, not sure how to get involved. What can they do? What What are your thoughts on how to best push on to, to change cultures and, and change the perception of the community within the bar? I think cultures change organically, so it's difficult I think, to, to have particular sort of interventions that you can do. I think most cultures change because lesbians, and gay, gay men and transsexuals become more open in those societies, play a bigger role, and the preconceptions about them change. And the more out you are, the more you talk about your own family, rather than simply be silent about it when everyone else is talking about spouse and children and everything else the more you will be included so i think a lot of it has to come from us but also people who are allies i think need to encourage that as well and to be open to hearing and chatting about that sort of thing to have some sense that actually if you're just talking about the sort of life at home for uh, straight people that can sometimes be quite exclusive towards lesbians and gay men uh, who may not have the same family setups and who might be a bit more reluctant to talk about their home life if everyone else is talking about the same thing, if 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 you know if their if their home life doesn't quite fit into whatever you know the general tenor of uh, whatever else is talking about. But it, I, I think now it's it's not really it's much less about taking specific steps. It's much more about openness and generally being kind to each other. In terms of your own openness. I know you mentioned that at the beginning you, you did put it on your CV, but then for, for a different reason, you took it off. Is your sexuality and your home life and, and you know your personal circumstances something that you have always been open about and always been proud to be open about? Or was there ever a time when you came to the realisation that you, you were going to start being more open? No, I was, always, I, mean, I was pretty open when I came to the bar. When I started View Pledge, I, I really only took it off my CV because I wasn't getting, I needed to get a second six pupillage and I wasn't getting responses. And as soon as I did take it off, then really I had the pick of what I wanted to do. 
it was quite shocking mm-hmm. in some ways, actually. And it was that was even for some radical sets as well, that there was that difference in the approach. And I wasn't sort of back in the closet, as it were, for very long. So I wasn't out during my second six pupillage at my new chambers, but it, within about six months of having a tendency, I was, I was open about who I was. And I, you know, I was, I was quite active politically. I was, I was in a direct action group. So I, I did tend to be open. And it's not, it hasn't really been, I, I perhaps for that reason, I haven't really felt that I've had much revert or if any overt discrimination since then. Because if you're if you're open to people, it's very difficult, I think, for them to, to be difficult back. And with that then, what would you say to any current member of the bar who wants to but feels unable to be open about their sexuality? Well, it depends where that's coming from. If it's coming from a fear that you will not be properly treated at the bar, that you'll somehow be treated worse, I, I would say think again because nowadays the processes are much, much more objective in terms of choosing people for pupillage and for tenancy. I don't think, you know, at my chambers you'd be at any disadvantage in being open about your sexuality. Whether that's true for all chambers, I can't say. But I think for a large proportion of the bar, it shouldn't be a problem at all. But it may be that, you you know, you have other reasons for wanting to be reticent. And, you know, it's not, it's not for me to force people to be open about these things. But I think it also, if, if you are open, it makes it much easier to be yourself and to bring your whole, the whole of yourself to the work that you do. And I, I, not only does that, I think, make it much easier at work, and it means you do better work. How, how was it that you came to the bar with confidence in who you were and, you know, your true self, given the background of what it was like in society at that time? The university I went to, and particularly the college I went to, was was very positive. I didn't feel that I should be at any disadvantage as a gay man, and actually coming out at university was relatively easy. Looking at jobs in the civil service, I started to find that there was homophobia out there in the in the jobs market because there were certain roles I was not allowed to do. I wasn't allowed to join the Foreign Office, for example, or the Ministry of Defence. I was there was a an absolute ban on gay men and lesbians being recruited but I expected because the bar is at the forefront of advocating for people for changing the law I thought it was going to be much more open than it actually was it was way behind most other areas of work and that was at a time when the discrimination provisions in relation to employment did not cover us. So you could be sacked for being gay or lesbian or transsexual. And yet the employ- you know, employment was much better in terms of homophobia than the bar. But, but you know, the bar was awful for women as well. I mean, women were routinely asked as pupils what they would do when they had a child. Uh, they were routinely made to cry in interview to see whether they could whether they would stand up to a, a, a brutal judge it was, it was quite brutal in some ways and since then the bar has really modernized and so it's a completely different beast but it was very old-fashioned the one thing that i i suspect is still difficult is for trans people 
Mm-hmm. But I, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not an expert on it. So perhaps it's not really something that's sensible for me to talk about. But I suspect that the much of the bar is still in a similar place with regard to trans yeah. people. There just hasn't been the same change in society, you know, more widely. Yeah. And, and part of it is because lesbians and gay men have become respectable, which is something I, <laughs> I've, I've never been a fan of respectability, but I've been amazed at how important it's been in terms of general equality, that equality on the ground, that, that we're now seen as prop, fully respectable members of society. And that's because the homosexual offences have been abolished. I mean, previously, you know, in the past, what was the what was the main experience of members of the bar of of gay men? It was prosecuting them for cottaging and soliciting. I mean, that's that's where a lot of this uh, homophobia came from. And the other thing that's really changed how we're perceived is civil partnership and marriage. It, it wasn't something that we were that as activists we were particularly pushing. We tended to want to push cohabitation rights, but actually having marriage as our, that sort of gold standard of relationship with all the approval that, come, that comes with that has made a huge difference. I just wanted to ask you as well, I, I, you know, it's, it's no problem if you haven't, but have you seen It's a Sin? I have, yes, it was great. I was, oh, it made me cry, I'm afraid. Um, I won't tell you why. I won't tell you why. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. It's it's on my list. I'll need to get permission from my people supervisor to take off enough time <laughs> to watch it. But uh, I just wondered what your thoughts were on it. It was it was very. I mean, it's incredibly sad. They they were about five years junior uh, older than me. So if you know, if I'd been born five years earlier. That's that's what my experience of coming to London would have been. Of course, by the by the time I came up to London, which was about eighty seven, we were there was much more information about HIV, and the culture was was already quite different. But there were a, a lot of people who who got very ill and a lot of people who died, and it was only with combination therapies in the sort of early mid nineties actually it stopped being a death sentence so a lot you know it was really really sad to see that generation portrayed and, and quite how bleak things actually were for a lot of them because i re- i remember a lot of people who were perhaps slightly older than me particularly mostly but some actually some you know it wasn't it wasn't so unusual for people of of, of my cohort my generation as well and, and younger to find themselves in the same position so it, it was very sad but did you watch it? It's great fun, and it's just a blast. It's a, it's a, it, it's a blast as well. It's really fun. My final question this evening, before I let you go, is one that I always finish off my podcast episodes with, and that question is: Do you love your job? And if you do, why? Yes, I do. I think I probably love it for all the reasons that bosses like their job. I mean, I like cross-examining. I like formulating an argument. It's great fun. I really like engaging with my clients and finding out exactly what what it is they need. And basically, I, it's the problem-solving aspect of the work that we do that is really, really satisfying. 
And also I've had the opportunity to engage with law reform over the um, period of my career, which has been very exciting. Um, there's been huge changes in terms of criminal law and family law, and I've, I've been some part in pushing those along. And that, that's been very rewarding. Gerald, thanks so much. Um, I'm actually on my feet in a few weeks at the Family Bar in London, so hopefully I'll I'll get to bump into you, if not in person, then (laughs) then on on a random Teams link uh, somewhere. (laughs) Thanks, Gerald. That was brilliant. Thanks for listening to the Raising the Bar podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review. And for more information, check us out on Twitter at RaisingTheBarGI.